is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand, welcome to the program. One of Australia's largest trucking companies has gone into voluntary administration. And what does this mean for the Northern Territory? And what does this mean for the supply of food into some of our major supermarkets? It just shows the amount of pressure that's on transport and the freight sector. And that pressure's coming from the top, you know, the the top supermarkets, etc. How much money is Inpex spending on carbon credits to offset its gas projects? I'll share that news with you in just a moment. And which country is set to buy up record amounts of beef in 2023? You'll find out today on the Country Hour. But first up today, let's head straight to Kalkarinji, which sits at the top-end catchment of the Victoria River. And as we go to air this afternoon, there is a major flood event unfolding in this community. Houses in Kalkarinji and the nearby community of Dagaragu have been inundated. People have been airlifted to safety. And one resident, a child, has been bitten by a crocodile. Rob Roy is in Kalkarinji this afternoon. I spoke to him just a moment ago. Looks pretty wet and a lot of water around. But there's also a lot of, um, you know, a few mixed emotions in regards to um, people from Dagaragu as well, because they've got edited from Dagaragu this morning and we're all at the school and we're just looking at um, rooms and stuff like that, whether we can squeeze the rest of the Calcarinji mob and the Dagaragu mob in, in one building, you know. So I haven't actually been to any of the emergency relief meeting yet. Um, so I can't really say much, but, um, you know, community member. But um, I see a similar thing of what took place here back in 2001. Water came up that high so fast, you know, so fast. So. When it comes to evacuations, how many people have been lifted out of that region? Well, the whole of Dagaraga community has been airlifted this morning and they're all here at Kalparingi. So no one's at Dagaraga underwater. There's no one at Dagaraga. And are you able to explain to our audience how big that community is, how many people we're talking about? Uh, Dagaraga is pretty big. Um, there's more people at Dagaraga than Kalkaringi, and we've managed to move them all here. So the numbers have increased. There's people everywhere. Um, you know, we've, the store had provided camper um, packs from the shop for the people from Dagaraga who are staying at the school. Um, but then we've got the local people from Kalparingi who's now moved out of their houses because it's all underwater. And most of them are staying at the school, but I, I'm thinking the school might be uh, just a little bit too small to hold two, two communities, you know what I mean? Because how many people are we talking? Well, Dougal Road has probably got more than three, 400 people. Kalparingi is about 354, you know? And in terms of houses that have been inundated, what do you think that number would be at the moment, Rob? Uh, oh, there's probably half of Calvary now that's been inundated, inundated you know, with, from the water. So half of the Calvary community is all underwater now. Um, I had news this morning when people were moving out of Dagaragu, there's a child that got bitten by a crocodile who's at the clinic now. <laughs> Right, so, so this, a child has been bitten by a crocodile. What what have you heard? What's the latest? Uh, the latest was there's one of the houses being evacuated here at Kalkaringi. They were moving a lot of stuff outside of the house. As they walked out, uh, this young fellow, young kid, got bitten in the back of the leg. 
Um, didn't realize what it was until they saw that, that it was a croak. Good thing it wasn't a really big one, it's a small one. But they're now treating him with full bikes at the clinic. So that's, that's, ho- what, I was, that's what I was told. That, um, that child every, will be yeah. okay? He's at the clinic now, he'll be okay. Thank goodness. So everyone's sort of heading towards the school grounds, it would seem. Has the community got enough food, supplies, all that sort of thing? Um, I've, I've just been on the phone with one of our ministers, Mr. Chancey Pegg, and uh, he, not a CP, advised me over the phone saying that they are going to do more meal drops, um, but they'll be looking at maybe evacuating, but um, he's not quite too sure at the moment. He hasn't spoken to me about that. But um, at the moment, it's just food drops and just going to be you know, keeping all the people in one area and make sure everybody's accountable for, you know, accounted for. And is it still raining there this afternoon? It's still overcast. It's wind, there's wind going still um, overcast and they reckon they're going to get more rain right up until Saturday, Sunday. So, yeah. And, and you, you said you haven't seen anything like this since 2001? I haven't seen anything like this since 2001, correct. I know you've got a lot happening there at the moment, so thank you for sharing time for us, Rob, and I'll let no you worries, go. Mate. All good, thank you. Just, uh, just, uh, hope, I, I'm just hoping that um, the anti-government don't forget about the people of Kirkring and Dakarago during this, um, I don't know, should I say crazy time because of a lot of water and whatnot? It sounds like a crazy time. <laughs> yeah. Just hope I've forgotten, you know. That is Rob Roy in Kalkaringi this afternoon. A lot going on. So just repeating, a major flood warning in place for that area. The whole of Dagaragu has been airlifted out this morning, according to Rob. Dagaragu, underwater, and half of the houses in Kalkaringi have been inundated, according to Rob. A lot of people there in the school grounds. There are emergency meetings happening as we go to air. Uh, we've been in contact with emergency services, and we hope to bring you the latest on how those meetings are unfolding in just a moment on the Country Hour. The Vic River, as we go to where, is currently sitting at 15.9 metres and rising there at Kalkaringi and is 6.6 metres over the local bridge there. There's been 132 millimetres of rain at Kalkaringi in the 24-hour period to 9am, 120 at the Upper Victoria River gauge and 114 millimetres recorded at Lajamanu. ABC Radio. Major flooding information in Creole. Major flooding in Maine, water flooding in Nanga rural and urban area. Because my buildings are above that floor level, covered in water. People, property and town, the cut off. Too much water and cover up that road. They go in and out. Railroads and road got to be closed. You might have to go somewhere else. Black evacuate. Plenty of rain in the Victoria River District, care of this tropical low. We've seen some photos of the Keep River, and my goodness, lots of water there as well. Uh, Dan Fitzgerald, you've been on the phone to some people associated with Newry Station there on the NTWA border. What's the story out there? Yeah, Newry Station's homestead has seen quite a lot of water go through the complex. Uh, the phone line is down there at Newry, um, so I haven't been able to get to, on to anyone at the property. Um, but management 
of uh, the company that owns it said, um, yeah, there's been about 470 millimetres of rain over the last 10 days. So it's a very wet country, um, and that's led to uh, the Keep River sort of bursting its banks there at the homestead. About 15 centimetres of water going through uh, a number of buildings on the property. Um, nobody, uh, not much damage apart from just some wet floors there, I'm told. Um, so, yeah, everybody's pretty busy uh, mopping up at Neary Station at the moment. Some of the newer buildings there are on stilts, so okay. um, not a huge amount of damage, but, um, yeah, a lot of water flowing through that region at the moment. Okay, thank you for the update, Dan, and uh, I'll let you get back into the booth. We're expecting a call from emergency services any moment to keep the Territory up to date on what's happening there at Kalkarinji and Dagaragu. Several meetings underway, I've been told, and decisions on whether to start evacuating Kalkarinji. As news comes to hand, we'll make sure we share it with you here on the Country Hour. It is 22 to 1. One of Australia's largest trucking companies has gone into voluntary administration. What does this mean for the Territory? We'll talk about this next. One of Australia's largest trucking companies has gone into voluntary administration. Scott's Refrigerated Logistics has depots across the country. It supplies freight to some of our major supermarkets and now the fate of about 1,500 of its workers hangs in the balance. Max Rowley had a chat to Louise Bellato from the NT Road Transport Association about what all of this means for the Northern Territory. It's uh, very uh, disappointing to hear of a very old Australian company which has been purchased by multinational operators uh, going into receivership uh, Any time a trucking company goes broke is uh, very significant for the rest of the industry. Uh, what it'll mean for the Northern Territory right now is probably less than on the eastern seaboard where most of their contracts with uh, Coles and Woolworths and the IGAs uh, were held and uh, they were certainly a very big player in the refrigerated foodstuffs transport, uh, less so in the Territory. Could you see any flow-on effects to NT consumers or for farmers transporting goods on backloads down south? I think it'll depend on uh, what actually occurs with the period of administration. So if the uh, 300 trucks and 400 uh, refrigerated vans are all parked up for any length of time, obviously that will have a knock-on effect in the supply chain because that's a very significant number of uh, specialised pieces of trailing equipment that are not in circulation. And so it'll mean that there'll be other companies that are needing to pick up the, uh, the slack on an interim basis. If that company is sold quickly, uh, then there might be fewer impacts but certainly the, um, the large retailers will be uh, looking very quickly at alternative um, sources of moving their perishables and their, their foodstuffs. And more broadly, Louise, was it a surprise for you to see such a major freight company go into administration? Max, I think everyone uh, during the pandemic and then in the uh, first period after the pandemic, we're expecting uh, companies to go broke because of what had occurred. And uh, it's, this is probably a little bit more delayed than we anticipated, but uh, companies have done it tough for a long time. 
uh, we've certainly seen in the road transport industry some huge uh, cost imposts. One was the um, inadvertent effect of the um, loss of the fuel tax credit for six months when the fuel excise was reduced. Um, we had you know, unprecedented uh, diesel fuel prices and uh, the on-road uh, fuel tax rebate um, not there, wiped out. And uh, a lot of uh, road transport operators uh, do rely on that to manage their, um, their tax payments, etc. Uh, we have seen um, massive uh, workforce shortages and wage increases. So there's been a lot more competition for uh, drivers and schedulers as well as just diesel mechanics in the industry. And so uh, Scots wouldn't be immune to any of those factors either. Do you think any other companies, any NT companies are at risk of a similar fate? Oh, I think all of them are um, in a very tenuous situation. And we know that because of the um, always the issues around freight costs and especially during the wet season when you've got reduced load limits on roads. So if the only way to make money in the territory is to pull triples, and that's why we've got you know open access for nearly all of our network except the Greater Darwin area, but they're only allowed to pull um, 80% doubles on uh, roads that are you know impacted by flooding then that just takes away any profit margin. And uh, we saw just recently from, you know, before Christmas till last week, the Tanami Road was closed. So a lot of our operators there in Central Australia uh, who rely on uh, the Newmont Mine and freight, you know, work uh, had no work for eight weeks. You know, the weather events now will mean that there's more roads that are impassable and so there'll be delays as well. And transport operators do not get a retainer for sitting around. They only get paid when their wheels are turning. That is Louise Bellardo, who's the Executive Officer at the NT Road Transport Association. The National Road Transport Association is blaming the supermarkets for the collapse of Scott's refrigerated logistics. The administrator, Cordamantha, says it's getting plenty of interest from potential buyers. But Warren Clark, chief executive of the Transport Association, says this announcement is still a big shock. It was a complete shock to see a company of this size and this sort of standing actually uh, you know, go into voluntary administration. Um, I think really what came to my mind was the flow-on effect on how it's going to affect the, the 1,500 people that you know potentially could lose their jobs, but not only that, the subcontractors that work for Scots and so forth. So it's a really big thing for the industry. What sort of impact is there in the freight sector broadly when a major player like this leaves? Well, what I think it shows is that it just shows the amount of pressure that's on transport and the freight sector and that pressure's coming from the top, you know, the, the top supermarkets, etc. And what happens is that, you know, people will jostle for the work, people will pick up the work, but there's still going to be uh, disruptions to the freight chain, and it's those disruptions that the consumers will feel right through the whole system. And you're saying it goes to the top, because the unions were saying that too, the, that um, Scots were, were running some of the business for Coles, for Aldi as well, Woolworths is partially involved and they're saying the margins are too tight for freight companies and we hear that in a lot of sectors. Do you believe that to be true in this case? 
Oh, look, 100%. That's where the pressure's coming from. You, you've got some of these guys, well, most of the industry is operating on an average profit margin of 2.5%. You know, gone are the days. The freight just cannot cannot absorb any more costs, but the pressure keeps coming. So until these um, groups become serious about providing safe and sustainable services, then transport can't absorb the cost anymore. It's just not there. And in the short term, Cordamentha are saying they're paying people to keep doing what they've been doing, but are you hearing of any sort of breakdown in, in operations at all? Is it impacting on farmers, for example, or, or, or food processors that might have refrigerated products that, that need to get somewhere? Look, they, they're doing a very good job of keeping it all going. Um, you know, it's in their best interest to make sure that it's as seamless as possible. Now, It needs to be, doesn't it? Because a lot of this stuff is perishable. Well, that's exactly right. So refrigeration, cold storage, they'll have systems set up and, and it will, you know, it appear to be going, you know, great on the surface, a bit like a duck swimming. But make no mistake, and the sector is impacted by these types of guys going into liquidation. You know, the flow on to subcontractors, Scots will have a lot of subcontractors doing their work. You mean drivers, small small drivers with their own trucks? Small drivers. Yeah, they'll be hiring trailers from different groups. People are going to be impacted by this. There'll be subcontractors that you know, are worried about you know, what the future is for them. You know, do they stick with that contract? Do they move into another area? You know, does Coles come in and take it up and run it itself and kick everyone out of, out of work? You know what I mean? Like it's, there's a lot of uncertainty that's been created by this incident. Well, Cordamentha are saying they're inundated with inquiries. And you think Coles might be seriously thinking about buying it themselves? Oh, look, I'm not privileged to that, but, you know, it, it would have to be entering their mind how they would um, secure up their, their freight chain. Um, you know, there's plenty of companies that can take over this work, but as you know, our industry is really struggling to find drivers. Uh, it's really fi- struggling to keep on top of the infrastructure, so it's a challenge. That's Warren Clark, Chief Executive of the National Road Transport Association, speaking to David Clawton. Aldi has rejected these claims that supermarkets put pressure on the profit margins of freight companies. And in a statement, the supermarket giant said the claims were categorically untrue, baseless and damaging. A Coles spokesperson has been reported as saying we're aware of the challenges being faced by one of our transport providers and we are working hard to provide support and minimise the impact this might have on our customers and product suppliers. I'm joined in the studio by Dan Fitzgerald and Dan, the National Farmers Federation has uh, provided some comment on this issue as well. What does the NFF had to say? Yeah, the NFF says it's very concerned about the uh, collapse of uh, Scott's refrigerated logistics. It says uh, the fact that the collapse of a single company can disrupt such a large component of Australia's food supply demonstrates the severe issues Australia has with increasing market concentration in our supply chains. We hope the receivership process can resolve this company collapse quickly to allow a return of the trans to the transport and delivery of fresh produce from farmer to consumer. Those are words from uh, the National Farmers Federation CEO Tony Ma. Okay, thank you for that, Dan. Any word back yet from emergency services in the Northern Territory? Uh, not as yet, Matt, but uh, still trying. Maybe the meeting is still on. Thank you. This week on Landline, flooding along the Darling River. Three years ago, we were in a solid drought, so we had no water in the river. <laughs> exactly opposite. But, you know, that's, that's living on the land. 
and the Tassie wool grower doing it her way. I kind of have given up on caring about what people think. That's Landline, Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. It is 8 to 1 here on the Country Hour. China imported a record amount of beef last year, buying more than 2.6 million tonnes from nations around the world. In its Global Beef Quarterly report that's out today, Rabobank predicts China's record beef consumption will continue to rise this year, which could present some opportunities for Australia's cattle industry. To learn more, I had a chat to analyst Angus Gidley-Baird. General consumption in China we think is going to improve. The relaxation of the COVID restrictions late last year we believe should lead to to those consumers sort of becoming a little bit more active again. But there are still some question marks around you know the economy there and how much it recovers. Um, so we're expecting positive signs out of China, but we're just not expecting the same sort of growth that we've seen in previous years uh, in China. Still, though, if it's bigger than last year, that's a lot of beef. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it's a huge volume into that market. Brazil sent 1.1 million tonnes over there last year, which I think is the biggest protein trade in the world. And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a massive market. It does have an ability to, to influence that global trade, uh, given the, the volumes in and out of that market. Brazil has been the biggest supplier of beef into China, but not right now as we speak. Uh, what is the latest information you've heard on that BSC case? Yeah, so as of last week, the Brazilian government announced that they had that atypical case uh, and and subsequently suspended their exports to China as per their trade protocols. So uh, they'll be working through that. How long is probably the question. Uh, they'll be suspended from that market. We did see a similar thing happen back in 2021, September 2021, and they reopened the trade in December 2021. So... Possibly this could be a month, a couple of months before the trade resumes. But, yeah, with, with that large volume, no one's going to be able to replace the volume. No one, We don't have a spare 1.1 million tonnes of beef floating around the world at the moment. So it will provide positive upside to, to prices. Um, we did see last time that happened in 2021, we did see Australia's exports to China increase. That increased by about 25% compared to the same period in 2020. And we saw the per unit export prices to, to China lift as well. They lifted about 18%. So it, it should provide some positive upside, but I think it'll probably be something that'll be resolved relatively quickly. Um, you know, both parties can't afford to have that trade suspended for a long period of time. So I think they'll work through it and, um, and Brazil will go back to sending product into China, but it does provide a bit of positive upside for Australia. Uh, the tests aren't back yet from Canada. Is that right? I haven't seen anything around uh, the formal um, test results. Um, so, yeah, still waiting on that. The, the presumption is that it's an atypical case and, yeah. and that we'll be able to resolve it fairly quickly. And there's a lot of reporting and speculation around whether China might lift suspensions on some Australian abattoirs. Have you heard any, any news in that space? No, I haven't heard any news in that space, but I mean, yeah, it, it definitely is a more positive climate. Uh, we've got, you know, Chinese and Australian ministers meeting, um, you know, favourable indications in terms of some of our other trade with coal and 
Uh, I know the, the 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 guys were were getting excited that they might be able to resume trade into there. We had a change in the import requirements from China that's no longer requiring those COVID inspections at ports. So things becoming a little bit easier. The relationships are becoming a little bit better. This situation with Brazil and sort of shortage of product, you know, all those things are positives. Um, but I think we'll probably just wait and see to see how things progress in terms of those uh, export licenses being re-established. That is Angus Gidley-Baird, who's a senior animal proteins analyst with Rabobank. Its global beef quarterly report is out today. Expectations are that China will keep on buying that beef in record amounts. All eyes on Brazil, of course, as to how that BSE case unfolds. Been told by one analyst that perhaps the test results from Canada might be known by tomorrow. We'll just have to wait and see. Hi, Cole Stanton, your local dirt doctor or soil doctor, carrying out some uh, erosion control works on Andalusia Station at this given moment. And guess what? You're listening to Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. A tropical low is drenching the Victoria River District. And there is a major flood event unfolding in the communities of Kaukarinji and Dagaragu as we go to air this afternoon. The whole of Dagaragu community has been airlifted this morning and they're all here at Kaukarinji. So no one's at Dagaragu. Dagaragu's underwater. There's no one at Dagaragu. There's probably half of Kaukarinji now that's been underwater from the water. So half of the Kaukarinji community is all underwater now. That is Kalkarinji resident Rob Roy who joined us in the first half of the program. Let's go to the Weather Bureau to get the latest. Rebecca Patrick is there. What can you tell us, Beck? Yeah, good afternoon, Matt. Um, yes, we do have that low pressure system that is sitting quite close to Kalkarinji and Dagaragu at the moment over the southern Gregory district. And we did have a lot of rainfall falling overnight uh, associated with that. So, um, yeah, that has made its way down the river towards Kalkarinji and the river has been rising very quickly um, uh, today, so it has exceeded the, the major flood level um, and it is continuing to rise um, with potential for reaching 17.5 metres this afternoon. Uh, so we have been updating those warnings as we get the latest information coming through. Right, 17.5 metres at Kalkarinji. Have you got any of the uh, the history books with you there to give us a sense on where that might sit? Uh, I think um, that's getting close to to record levels. Mm. Um, there was a there was an event uh, in two thousand and one, I believe that was that was up at those levels. But we don't have a, a definitive number on that. But it's yeah, it's certainly um, getting up there. Has the bureau got any? information I guess it can share regarding emergency meetings today and, and what's been discussed? Um, yeah, well, I guess as you just heard, uh, there have been evacuations at Dagaragu, so um, emergency services and the Bureau have been keeping in close contact throughout the day um, to coordinate um, the response for those communities. Um, so, yeah, I guess the best advice for people in that area is just to listen to police and emergency services to find out the, the latest actions that they should be taking. Mm. This weather system that's bringing all of the rain, what's its predicted path from here? 
Uh, so it is fairly slow moving today um, and into tonight, um, which is unfortunate because that means that we will continue to see some um, reasonable rainfall, so potentially similar numbers again across those southeastern parts of the Gregory District, the northern Tanami and into the, the northwest Barclay District over the next 24 hours. Um, as we go into tomorrow, that low pressure system should start to track eastwards, so across the northern parts of the Barclay District um, during tomorrow and Friday. And so we should start to see those heavier rainfall amounts um, moving into the Barclay um, and probably easing off from the from that um, Kaukarinji and Victoria River area. Although we could still see some some further rainfall but the the heavier rainfall should be easing in those areas from tomorrow okay there's uh there's quite a long list of warnings really can we talk about the daily river because it is on the up yeah, so that's uh, another one that's making its move. Uh, that did cross into the moderate flood levels uh, last night um, and it is continuing to rise. Uh, the peak is expected to occur um, probably on Friday at this stage, getting up to um, about um, 13.5 metres at uh, Nayu community um, on the Daly River there. So... Um, yeah, just expecting that to remain at that moderate flood level. Okay. Anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon? Um, they're probably the, the main flood warnings, but um, we do have that flood watch over a larger area as well for the progression of that low eastwards. Um, so there is risk of, of further heavy rainfall uh, over the Barclay um, in particular over the next few days. Um, mm. We also have marine wind warnings current around the top end coastal regions. So we're seeing those gusty winds continuing, particularly along the, the west coast. Okay, Beck, thank you for the update this afternoon on what is a busy day, I'm sure. <laughs> no worries. Thanks, Matt. Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. I'll just repeat this severe weather warning that's in place for heavy rainfall and damaging winds. This is for people in Gregory, parts of the Daly, Carpentaria, Barclay and Tanami districts. This is a severe weather warning that covers so much of the Northern Territory. And how about this for language out of the Bureau in regards to rainfall? It's predicting six hourly rainfall totals could be between 90 to 140 millimetres today. Uh, this is a big system moving very slowly and bringing a lot of rain and a lot of damage to some of our communities this afternoon. ABC Radio. Major flooding information. In Creole. Major flooding in Maine. Water flooding in a rural and urban area. Because my buildings are above that floor level covered in water. People, property and town, the cut off. Too much water and cover them up that road. They go in and out. Railroads and road gotta be closed. You might have to go somewhere else. Black evacuate. It is eleven past one on the country hour. I got a text here from Judith who says, Matt, with those people evacuated, what about their animals, their dogs, etc.? Especially with those crocodiles around. It's a good question, Judith. We've been trying our best to get someone on from emergency services in the Northern Territory. There's been a bunch of meetings held in the last hour or so, but we've had no luck getting someone onto the country hour to explain to the Territory what is going on. 
We've been told there's perhaps a press conference coming at around 1.30, so stay tuned for that. When it comes to roads, as you would appreciate, there's a lot of them closed as we go to air this afternoon. Some of the major ones to be aware of is Highway 1, the Victoria Highway, still closed there at Butler Creek, which is to the west of Timber Creek. The Buntine Highway, it's closed between the Buchanan intersection and Kaukaringi. The Roper Highway is now closed due to flooding at Donkey Flat. And there's water over the Stewart Highway at various locations between Tennant Creek and Tea Tree. Motorists on the Stuart are advised to drive with care. Hello there. My name's Norm Hedditch from Taruna Proprietary Limited and we're Spanish mackerel fishermen in the Northern Territory and you're listening to the Country Hour. Rivers are rising across the top end. But what about groundwater levels? Adrian Costa is the NT's Director of Water Assessment and he's got the latest information on aquifers... Uh, Adrian, for you, what's the headline at the moment when it comes to groundwater? Yeah, looking pretty good in the Catherine region, Matt. Uh, I think we spoke um, previously and there was certainly a lot of rain around Darwin and around Tennant Creek and that uh, Ali Karung area, the central area, and also Alice Springs. But the real headliner is that uh, Catherine's had a fair bit of rain and, and those residents around that area would know that. They've had above uh, average rainfall, and that's translated to some rises in... Um, we've got a bore down there. It's had a, a two-metre rise, which is fantastic to see. How significant is a two-metre rise there at Catherine? Yeah, this bore that we've got is um, targeting the uh, Cambrian limestone aquifer in the region, and, um, yeah, two metres is quite significant. Um, I don't think it was as big as 2021, but um, we're looking bigger than last year, and certainly... Um, the flows in the Catherine River too are looking pretty good for this year. So if I'm an irrigator in that Catherine region, is it very likely that I'll get my full allocation this year? Yeah, look, that's um, it is likely. However, we've got an early notice coming out in March. We actually delayed that a little bit because um, we're doing some modelling at the moment to predict what those flows might be at the end of the dry season, which is around about the 1st of November, we've got a model that can predict forward and we just want to leave that a uh, little bit, that modelling, where we're constantly modelling, um, but obviously capturing this rain has certainly helped out. So, look, there will be an early notice that comes out in March through um, our section and um, that'll give people a, a bit of an early notice of what perhaps might happen uh, early May, but signs are looking good. Yeah. And as for Darwin's rural area, I assume aquifers are looking very healthy. Oh, uh, they are. Look, um, obviously they've started to rise with all the um, rainfall that we've had over that period and they've really reached their peak now. So they're sort of starting to plateau, um, which is which is fantastic. We've had another really, really good year. Um, but we just need to be mindful that as we head into the dry, um, you know, that's six or seven months of uh, no rainfall at all. So effectively it's a drought over that period. So, yeah, while um, levels are looking good, um we need to be conscious of our uh, our water use. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, not a problem, Matt. G'day, this is John Little here. I'm from Ilzajari Outstation, out on the Ernest Giles, and you're listening to the ABC Country Hour. Gas company Impex could be paying as much as $200 million a year by 2030 to buy carbon credits to offset its emissions. The company told this to a Senate inquiry into the government's safeguard mechanism bill. 
A new law which will require the country's biggest emitters to keep their emissions below a certain limit. Impex's Cameron McPhee told the inquiry that even with efforts to offset emissions with things like renewable power, it's very likely the company will also need to buy carbon credits, a lot of carbon credits. With moving as fast as we as we possibly can with actual decarbonisation, that is our plan. We're not planning on just relying on offsets, but we will certainly need offsets to cover the, the timing. So we just can't implement it quick enough. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you had a look at what the cost to the business is going to be per year? Uh, we have. Um, look, it really depends on what sort of carbon price assumptions you, you assume, but if you, if you take the $75 uh, a tonne cap and... Um, and multiply that by, say, you know, two and a half million tonnes in, in 2029 or something, there, there's, you know, it's quite significant um, potential costs approaching 200 million in a year for carbon credit costs. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the implementation of CCS is not, is not a small uh, investment either. Mm-hmm. Um, about, um, a project that in Australian dollar terms is of the order of, of about $2 billion, um, give or take. So... Uh, these are these are very large investments, but of course they, they also uh, can achieve very significant um, emissions reductions. That's Cameron McPhee from Inpex at this Senate inquiry. Today, the federal government's clean energy regulator has released data on carbon emissions by big polluting corporations for the 2021-22 financial year. It's revealed that during that period, Inpex produced 6.7 million tonnes of CO2 equivalent in its Scope 1 and Scope 2 emissions. So that's how much it polluted in just producing the gas. That number doesn't take into account emissions from when Impex's customers go and burn the gas. It is 17 past one. You are tuned into the Country Hour. Our top story today is the flooding emergency that is unfolding in the Victoria River District and for the communities of Kalkarindji and Dagaragu. If you head along to the ABC News NT website right now, you can see some pictures that are starting to come in from these flooded communities. Pictures of houses with the water. Well, the one I'm looking at has water about halfway up a house. Rivers are up. Jono from that community reporting that the Vic River is well over the bridge at the front of town. The school is closed for classes but will be opened as an evac centre and that the Buntine Highway is currently under about 4.6 metres of water. Look at some of these pictures, hey? So this is on the ABC News NT website if you want to check it out. Up next on the Country Hour, we're going to talk about the price of bulls. We know the price of cattle in general is on the slide, but what about bull prices? Broadcasting right across the territory on the ABC, streaming online, and g'day if you are tuning in via the podcast, this is the Country Hour. Bull prices across Australia have been at record highs for quite some time. Top bulls going for six figures. All kinds of records have been broken, but as cattle prices slide this year, will the value of bulls follow? Megan Hughes takes a look. When the first bid on the bull Ashley Kirk had his heart set on was for $100,000, he knew he'd be in for a fight. Down, down, down. 
but the central Queensland stud owner prevailed, partnering with another local Brahmin stud to place the winning bid at an eye-watering $200,000. Yeah, we were lucky enough. Yeah, it only takes two to tango, but we were lucky to, to secure him. Yeah, the, the first bid for him was 100000 so um, that took people back. And then, yeah, we came in at the end and were lucky enough to, to get him at that price. Now, the bull named Fairy Springs Capitalist calls Rockley Brahmins at Maura in central Queensland home. And a bull at this price is expected to pull its weight. And Mr Kirk has big plans to cash in on his investment. So straight after Brown Week we collected him. Yeah, we got good quality semen, very good quality semen out of him. So we've naturally mated him. He's done a season and then we've also used him in IVF and we've got confirmed pregnancies coming by him out of some of our have top producing cows. So um, very excited, yeah. We'll have calves in the next probably four, four to six, six months. So, yeah. It's all coming together and we'll hopefully get a return on investment with him. And in terms of the semen itself, will you just keep that for you know your operation? Or is that something you'll look to sell and potentially export? Yeah, there's certainly yeah, potential export. We'll keep it domestically ourselves and, and just monitor that as we go. Um, certainly no plans in the near future to, to um, sell any domestically, but internationally, yeah, we'd love to... Um, yeah, get that bull on the market and, and, and target some of those countries like the US and South Africa and countries that yeah are looking for homozygous pole genetics. But why spend that much on a bull in the first place? Mr Kirk explains what he was looking for. Very good temperament, being homozygous polled, good underline, structurally correct, good bone, it was the right colour, good testicles, good semen. So he's yeah ticked, ticked a lot of boxes that we were looking for. Um, the mother had had on a third calf, so that was important to us, the fertility side as well, and just a complete package, we thought. Another CQ stud owner, Annalie Godwin, runs Black Label Brangus and works for her parents' operation, Godwin Cattle Company. Together, they bought Brangus Bull Luna Roads for $110,000. For my side of things, I'm just going to use him as a stud sire over my cows. Um, we will eventually collect him, hopefully, and sort of see we haven't really decided whether we'll sell semen yet it's poss- definitely a possibility in the future but at the moment we want to get our own calves on the ground see how we form see how he goes make sure everything's correct we're just yeah just excited to have him around at the moment talk me through the you know trying to figure out the decision whether or not to to sell his semen would you be looking at domestic sales or, or exporting? Uh, potentially both. Um, export is something that I myself don't know much about. It's something I have to do a bit of research on. But to think about, we obviously want people to use these genetics and enhance their own herd. But we, we just want to see how he goes himself. We want to get some females on the ground by him. You know, we don't want to flood the market with his genetics because that will potentially decrease his value. We want to yeah, we want to get the first bulls out there sort of thing, not to be selfish, and then, yeah, potentially from there, see how they go and then sell his semen from there. Black Label Brangus owner, Annalie Godwin. Selling semen can be incredibly profitable. Recently, semen from Australia's most expensive bull sold for $24,000. Bull prices themselves have had a pretty good run. Between 2018 and 2022, they rose 70 to 80%. Rabobank senior analyst Angus Gidley-Baird said cattle prices have dipped since their massive highs, but it's uncertain whether bull prices will follow suit. Quite a dramatic drop in cattle prices. You'd probably have to expect that the same sort of sentiment would flow through to bull prices and we'll see prices ease off. But 
I think it'll be a really interesting thing to watch and see it how how it unfolds with um, you know producers out there that have probably been able to sell cattle at higher prices and whether or not the income in their pocket means that they'll still be chasing bulls whether we see a bit of a, a separation and we see some of those you know the really good bulls continue to be chased and, and higher prices for them but then the lower quality ones maybe there's less demand for them that you know question around uh producers going to look for the same number of bulls or maybe do they pay the same but maybe buy a couple less bulls i think we're still a bit of a way off in terms of the herd rebuild that's still on track and Obviously, with rain through Queensland in January and February, that might encourage a few people in Queensland to, to consider what they need to do for the genetics of their herd too. That is Rabobank analyst Angus Gidley-Baird in that report by Megan Hughes. It's time now in the country hour to head to the sale yards. With all the latest prices out of Dublin, here is John Traeger. Good afternoon. Numbers reduced substantially this week as agents offered 175 live weight and open oxen cattle and 75 open oxen calves. Prices eased under indifferent competition reflecting the fair to average quality of the offering. Medium weight yearling steers sold from 352 to 380 cents as the few heavier cattle sold from 320 to 400 cents a kilo. Light yearling heifers sold from 320 to 366 cents. Medium weights range from 333 to 356 cents, with heavier weights selling to 336 cents a kilo. Grown steers sold from 270 to 300 cents, with grown heifers ranging from 288 to 326 cents a kilo. Light yearling bulls sold from 332 to 390 cents, with heavy bulls selling to 250 cents a kilo. This is John Traeger at the South Australian Livestock Exchange for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the Country Hour. Thank you for that, John. There is a major flood warning in place this afternoon for the Victoria River at Kalkarenji. The Vic River is currently 16.4 metres and rising at that community, which is 7.1 metres over the local bridge. The river is expected to reach 17.5 metres later on this afternoon. The ABC has now been told the community of Kalkarinji will be evacuated. We heard earlier that Dagaragu nearby is underwater. Stay up to date via the ABC this afternoon. Pictures of the flooding can be viewed via the ABC News NT website. Keep it rural. <laughs> 